Hello, hello. This is Alicia Young, and welcome to Teach Me Freedom. This podcast is about learning how to live a freer life from authors, entrepreneurs, and experts. Those who have done it and who teach others how to do it as well, and what it feels like while applying those methods to our lives along the way. Every episode will deliver resources, anecdotes, and or reviews to support you in living a more freedom-filled life. Let's jump in. Please note the video version of this episode is available on YouTube at Teach Me Freedom. The link is also mentioned in the show notes. Enjoy. Part one of two. Hello, Freedom Finders. I am so very excited to introduce you to my financial planner, Trevor Chu. And we are so lucky today because we're going to be able to pick his brain with about 10 questions today. So Trevor and I met at a networking event, and it's so interesting because I was looking for a financial planner for a while, for several years, and doing a few talks and consultations and After meeting Trevor and having a few conversations and going through the process of starting a financial plan and getting to ask question upon question upon question and getting his patient answers and very thorough answers and high responsiveness, I really felt a high level of trust with Trevor. And so I'm so excited uh, that you all be able to get to hear from him today with the the list of questions that I have. And uh, we may add some additional questions depending on how the conversation flows. Uh, Before we jump in, a little bit about Trevor. So Trevor is a certified financial planner through FP Canada, formerly FPSC Financial Planning Standards Council. And he offers holistic, comprehensive financial plans, services, and advice. With over 17 years of experience in financial services, Trevor specializes in risk management along with legacy planning and charitable gift planning. Trevor is a certified kingdom advisor through Kingdom Advisors and is trained to offer biblically wise financial advice and plans. So Trevor serves as the director of finance for the Caribbean Mission Society. He enjoys basketball along with chess and is happily married with a young child. So welcome, Trevor. Thank you so much. Um, <laughs> I recently had another young child. So I have a one-year-old now. So I, um, thank you so much for having me. Why did you decide to become a financial planner? And part of that is what actually drives you as a financial planner. Yeah, I, I started in financial services really young. So I did my co-op when I was 16 with a, a major insurance company. Um, and then when I was 18, I wrote a license to become a financial advisor. And then throughout college and, and whatnot, I took studies to become um, a certified financial planner. Uh, I took a whole bunch of courses, but what really changed it for me was when I had a a young friend of mine in my practice who passed away from lymphoma cancer. Just going through that experience of having to deal with the young widow, helping her settle the estate, even helping her plan afterwards up to this date, it it really put a passion in me and a purpose for what I do. So I really enjoy what I do. I never thought I'd be doing what I do. Um, I'm very introverted, so I, I don't talk as much, but it's actually a good thing in my profession because it's very important to listen to clients rather than talking too much. Um, And and yeah, ever since then, I've just, you know, put that purpose into my uh, financial plans. And also because I'm a kingdom advisor, that that really helped me pretty much make my practice into my ministry in a way. Such a beautiful answer. Thank you. Thank you for sharing and and using. So first of all, sorry to hear about what happened to to your friend and um, 
just their family in the in the practice, but it's such a blessing that you've been able to be a huge source of support and give them guidance as well. And thank you for also putting that passion into helping others and allowing it to be something that is bigger than bigger than just finances itself. And so my next question is, is having a financial planner necessary? Because what exactly do financial planners do? Financial planners, it's not really a regulated thing in Ontario right now. They are trying to implement uh, regulations stipulating that if you're not a certified financial planner or you don't have some sort of credentials, you won't be able to call yourself a financial planner in the future. But currently, anybody can call themselves a financial planner. So you do have to be careful. I would you know, go to the um, FP Canada website and you can search for a certified financial planner there. There's different ways to vet people. You can go to regulators website and see if there's any judgments against financial planners as well to see if they have a clean slate. And I, I typically would ask for a referral like from an uh, existing client. What a financial planner does essentially is they essentially help you translate the jargon and the language that we have today. I mean, money is one of the largest, um, it's actually num the number one stress for most people is money. Uh, we don't really talk about money as much. It's not really taught in our education system. And that's part of the reason why I got into financial planning is because of the lack of literacy. It's literally another language. So imagine trying to go to a foreign country, you don't speak the language and trying to operate in that country. So financial planners help you translate all of that and help you fit it to your goals. Another question that flows from what you had shared about the fact that right now it's not a regulated industry and anybody can call themselves that title pretty much is... What are the different players in the field of finances? Because I know, like you shared the terms financial planners and financial advisors, um, and there might be other terms that I'm not familiar with. So can you share with us who the different players in the fields are and what their scopes are? So a certified financial planner is somebody who's trained to give you comprehensive advice in six key main areas. So financial management, debt management, investment planning, tax planning, retirement planning, insurance and risk management planning, and estate planning. So those six areas can be very complicated in themselves, but um, they have expertise in those areas. Other designations include like a CFA, Chartered Financial Analyst. So those are people who are into investments. They may hold a CFA designation in order to manage a large fund, or they may simply just be an investment broker for individual investors. Um, then you have your tax accountants, you have your CPAs, chartered public accountants or, or CAs, and they specialize in taxation, doing tax returns, um, some tax planning. Uh, in my firm, we actually collaborate with tax firms and tax accountants, as well as other centers of influence. Like we will work with um, your realtor, your mortgage broker. I used to be a mortgage broker as well. And what we do is we offer um, holistic financial planning services to that firm for that client. Um, other designations that you know may come about are one is called CLU, Chartered Life Underwriter. So I'm currently enrolled to do that right now. So that's specializing in advanced taxation and estate planning. And then there are other little designations here and there, like a, a certified health specialist who specializes in like um, living benefits, like disability and health insurance, that sort of thing. Um, those are your main ones. There are a couple other ones out there here and there. Um, but, but I would say those are the main ones you want to look for. Okay. Yes. It helps to understand more of the, more of the players in the field um, and, 
and what they do as well, um, especially because it sounds like some of them are more client-facing, whereas others work more with businesses or corporations and not really one-to-one with clients as, as for example, we're working together and you and your other clients in your practice as well. I would say it's good to find um, a team of advisors that work in cohesion. So usually when I work with my clients, you know, I will work with their tax accountants, I'll work with their realtor, and I'll put together a plan so that everybody's on the same page. When you have everything like here and there, it's difficult for everyone to communicate and get your goals accomplished that way. Um, So I I would look for, you know, a team of experts that work together. Yeah, that sounds that sounds um, so fitting. Uh, Yeah, because you want to make sure that everybody's headed in the same direction and there's no competing interests and everybody's on the same page for at the end of the day, helping that person achieve their best goals. So you mentioned that there are six key areas Uh, when it comes to creating a comprehensive financial plan. And I know as we've been working together, it's been very exciting because I'm familiar with the different areas, but it wasn't until we went in depth and you went through my finances and we discussed my goals that I realized the importance of of going deeper. For example, what's most in my mind right now is the insurance aspect, because we were talking about like the business and then working and and looking at things like critical illness and life insurance and more details. So can you share with us a little bit more about when you say those six key areas, if you could share more about what those key areas are, it's like insurance, what, what is insurance and what is the importance of it? Sure. Yeah. So I'll start with the first key area is financial and debt management. So typically I'll sit down with a client like I did with you. I'll ask you a whole bunch of questions. Um, I'll do a cash flow budget with you to see where your finances are. So one of the main goals is you always want to spend less than you earn. If you're spending more than you earn, then, then we have an issue. We try to fix that that way. The other thing is debt. Um, Canadians have a lot of debt, most of us. Um, so putting together a plan to get rid of that debt, you know, is very important. And that also entails like, how do you pay off a mortgage? Um, how do you finance things? Everything in between that deals with finances. Um, so I would take that, I would give my client a cash flow analysis, and then we would go together of like how to go forward with the plan, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we have investment planning. So investment planning entails getting to know your risk tolerance, finding out how much is enough that you need to save in order to retire. Do you need to earn 12% returns or do you only need 4%, right? Defining that. And then once we define your risk tolerance, you know, picking what type of investments you want to match your goals. And that includes looking at TFSAs, RSPs and whatnot. That also ties into tax planning. So when we get into the tax planning, um, I do do you know several tax returns per year. So I do understand taxation. Um, I work with accountants and accounting firms. Um, so tax planning uh, is a very important part. Uh, more than 42% of our dollar goes towards taxes. You add up all the taxes together, we pay more in taxes than basic necessities. The other thing with taxes is, um, you know, the, the bigger the government is, the more taxes they collect. Um, I truly believe that government should exist to, one, uh, punish people for evil and to protect people's rights and property. When you go outside of that jurisdiction, you, you end up with big governments that sometimes shouldn't be involved in certain things. Right. So, so saving to saving on taxation is very important as well. Um, and, and there's different ways that we can talk about doing that. There's a lot of unknown ways. And, and that's precisely why I talk to accountants and accounting firms. It, it sounds kind of strange, but I help accountants and accounting firms eliminate taxes. Uh, a lot of accounting firms, they can only defer tax. Um, risk management entails insurance planning. This is one area that is 
very misunderstood. Uh, it's one of my specialties because I've been licensed in it for so long. Just going through the risk management and understanding what are the actual risks. One of the largest risks in someone's lifetime is critical illness. If you look at um, car insurance, car insurance is one in 1,200 chance of making a claim. Home insurance, um, maybe about the same, right? Critical illness for cancer alone is one in two in your lifetime. So if you've got any type of risk management plan or insurance, it should be for critical illness. Like, can you imagine if you get a critical illness and you can't work for a year or two years, how will you pay the bills for your mortgage or how will you retire? What often happens is you end up exhausting your retirement plan or you end up having to sell your house in order to do that, right? And then, so the whole financial plan is gone, right? So having the risk management plan is very important because stuff does happen in life. Um, retirement planning uh, can be important as well because what you do today dictates how your retirement will be in the future, right? Simply investing, say, for instance, dividends in a non-registered account might get you clawed back on old age security, right? Or investing in the wrong vehicle. Um, and then the final area would be estate planning and charitable giving. This is another area that's not really looked at as much. Um, you know, things like having a family inventory guide, you know, telling your beneficiaries what your funeral arrangements are. Little stuff like that will take away a lot of fighting and disputing amongst your family and just planning for your final tax liabilities as well. Right. So it's very comprehensive. There's a lot of different moving parts and areas. And this is precisely why you should um, engage a professional with team of, of advisors. Mm -hmm. Yes, very well said. So the next question is, why work with a financial planner when we have access to robo-advisors? Robo I know that this is also advice in some uh, personal finance books that, that I've read that have said, um, you don't need a financial advisor. I don't know if they're tying financial advisors and planners into the same category, but um, yeah, what do you, why is it important if it is? Yeah, so, so I'd like to share my screen for something. Um, sure. So can you see my screen here? Um, now we can, yes. Okay, so, so this is a chart illustrating to you. So this was done by Dr. John Cockerline, PhD. I think this was in 2016 or so, a couple of years back. But what it basically shows you that is if you have an advisor, your wealth will probably be you know 1.58 times more than if you didn't have an advisor in four to six years almost two times that amount in seven to 14 years. And by 15 years, almost three times that amount of wealth. I mean, the reality is our financial industry is always changing. There's so many moving parts and being able to capitalize on those changes, you know, is very important. There's lots of tax laws that change all the time. There's a lot of services and products that change a lot during that course of your lifetime. And your financial plan may change. There are over 62 life transitions that are gonna alter your financial plan. So in constant contact with a financial planner, you know, updating them of, of, you know, new births or job changes or anything, you know, does affect your finances. Why I would say use a financial planner? And I think part of the reason why this has come about is because the, the title, um, there's no title restriction. Anybody can call themselves a financial planner. So people are thinking that a financial planner is somebody who just invests their money. Well, the reality is that's not a financial planner. That's just an somebody who's selling you investments. And what's happening in the industry is these robo-advisors will take up tasks that your ordinary financial advisor you know, would typically do, like um, adjust a portfolio or, or change a portfolio according to the economy. So those mundane tasks have now been off, off to robo-advisors. So what I would advise is get a financial planner that uses robo-advice um, and, and, and 
you know, that type of um, technology in their practice. You know, I personally use robo advisory in, in my practice as well. All it basically is, is you open up an account with one of these robo advising firms. They'll give you a investor profile that asks you a bunch of investment questions to see what your risk tolerance is. And they'll automatically put you and slot you into their one, one of their five managed portfolios, whether it be conservative, balanced, or aggressive. So really the robo-advising isn't really that comprehensive. You know, there are some robo-advisors that will, you know, try to sell you and sell you different products or, or, or cross-sell you different things. But the reality is uh, financial advisors utilize these tools. And sometimes you can have the best of both worlds. Yeah. Um, one common thing and one thing with robo-advisors is ETFs. What you'll notice is a lot of them use exchange-traded funds. And what exchange-traded funds are, they're sold on the exchange, like stock market, and they can be traded you know, during the course of the trade day. Um, what that allows them to do is, one, save on the management fee. So ETFs are a lot cheaper management-wise, okay? And two, they get automatically rebalanced according to you know algorithms and whatnot. So in my practice, I offer these ETFs. So I have robo-advising in my practice. And I think in the future, financial planners who are smart will utilize both you know, robo-advising and technology and um, competent knowledge. Because the reality is you're not gonna be able to replace a human being. There's no computer that is more powerful than the human brain at the end of the day. So, so while robo-advising technology is good, I think when you pair it together with competency, you know, you, you'll get the best results that way. That makes total sense, especially when you shared that things are going to constantly be changing. And then also having that, the sharing the comp- competence. So just that experience and the knowledge and wisdom you would have gained from meeting with all these different clients and seeing and working together on all these different financial plans. And I guess seeing different markets and a whole host of things uh, can also influence helping people to arrive at their goals. Another two-part question for you is, one, what is your definition of financial success? And part two, what are some of your most financially successful clients implementing? So my definition of financial success would be that you're debt-free, providing for yourself and family, and while being able to give generously. I I think being debt-free is very important to today's society because we have a lot of debt um, our government has a lot of debt, private sector, corporate sector all have a lot of debt, um, especially when you have high interest debt, like credit cards or whatnot. I mean, debt that you can write off, like good debt that's secured under like a house or a mortgage, you know, that's not as bad. Um, but being able to do that, provide for your family while giving generously, I, I believe is the definition for financial success for me. Okay. Um, my most financially successful clients, so some of them are implementing, so they definitely have emergency funds. They have little to no debt. They've maxed out their tax-free savings account. And what they're doing is they're utilizing tax-exempt investments. So outside of a TFSA, um, there are tax-exempt investments where you can put money in, grow wealth tax-free, and there are even ways to withdraw tax-free as well. So I do that with them. Um, I plan for longevity if they got a good health. So, so I help them set up a guaranteed pension plan that gives them a guaranteed 4% bonus every year, while a chance to beat that pension with top-tier investments. Um, and I also help them, encourage them to buy their own stock. So, so I really feel that my most successful clients are more, most educated clients. You know, I really like to educate my clients um, and I encourage them to buy their own stocks. Uh, most financial advisors these days won't help you or won't be able to implement that portion to do actual stock trades. Um, but you can easily set up a TFSA and do your own stock trades individually. The reason why I say that is because if you want to make any impact in the world, 
the place you want to make impact first is corporations. Corporations lobby our governments and politicians. They give huge incentives. And when they get elected, they give back huge favors. So if you want to affect the world and change the world, get into um, these shareholder meetings and become a shareholders of these corporations you want to change. I'll give you a story. Um, in South Africa, there was apartheid. Um, Episcopal shareholders of Ford actually raised a shareholder resolution and said, hey, we don't like apartheid. We think it's unjust. You know, we are against it. What are you going to do about it? So Ford actually started speaking out against this. And after that, many other corporations started following suit as well. So I always encourage my clients, you know, buy individual stocks of companies that you believe in, that you would feel good working at, that you, your own child, you'd be proud to say that they work there as well. So those are some of the most, um, some, some of the things that they do are most successful. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. And also, um, I also like how you shared uh, the that point about impact. And it reminds me of that idea of speaking with your money as you shared that story about how all it takes is one, I guess, one powerful player to kind of change the trend and change the standard. Um, so that's really encouraging. Even, even if we can't put all of our money into everything that we want, maybe not now, maybe that might be a goal later. Um, just even just sharing that of just finding one place and and maybe being invested there and, and getting behind, like really believing in them. And um, that's something that we can do. Yeah, definitely. So next I'm going to ask you some questions, the, the question about um, common mistakes people make. And then I have a few questions about home ownership. Okay, sure. So common mistakes that people make. So I, there's a lot of them. So, so <laughs> having no emergency fund. So you should try to have at least three months minimum of your monthly income saved up as emergency. Your emergency fund should not be invested in anything. It should be liquid. You should be able to access it. Um, having a negative cash flow, so spending more than you make is definitely an issue because that's how you end up in debt and other issues. Um, being late on debt payments, you know, that often precedes that and tends to ruin your credit as well. Um, no plan to predict against risk. So um, everybody has to pay, pass away. Everybody has to pay taxes. Life insurance is one of the few things that solves both those issues. Um, critical illness, I talked about, one of the largest risks in your lifetime. You have a 50% chance of contracting cancer sometime in your lifetime. I've had many instances of this, like that first 26-year-old with lymphoma cancer. My mom had breast cancer. I lost a friend who introduced me to this business at 34 from stomach cancer. Even his mom passed away uh, last year from some, same thing, stomach cancer. So cancer is rampant. I mean, they put stuff in our food, in our air. So wow. I'm not surprised by that at all. So having some sort of contingency plan against that is very important as well. Um, not investing early enough, you'd be surprised. The difference between a 40-year-old and a 20-year-old investing the same amount is like $200,000. So just starting early. Gosh. I wish I started investing when I was you know, a lot younger, right? Um, not automating investment contributions or paying yourself first. So what that means is when you get your paycheck, um, you should set aside a little bit to invest. And don't do it manually. You should set up a automated system where it's uh, either monthly, bi-weekly, or weekly coming out of your account and automatically going into your risk tolerance of investments. I find my clients who have the best results do weekly contributions. And what that allows you to do is spread out your risk so that every single week, if the market's down, you actually get to buy those units when it's down. Think of investing like shopping. You know, you want to go shopping when there's a discount or sale. But the issue with investing is it's so difficult to time the market. So having that automated process helps you spread out that risk. And you'd be surprised, you know, $100, $200 a week, 
will add up into a couple million dollars over your lifetime if you're young enough, right? Using your TFSA. So oftentimes you go into a bank, most people, they open the TFSA at the teller. The teller's not authorized to give you any investments other than high interest savings most of the times. So you wanna make sure you open up a TFSA. I always suggest this, you open up a TFSA one as a stock trading account. As long as you don't day trade with it, it's tax-free. It means what it says. You can withdraw tax-free, you can grow money tax-free, unless you day trade. If you day trade, CRA will say it's your occupation and tax you like it's income, okay? <laughs> so other than that, um, I, I would open up a, a managed TFSA. So one TFSA where you manage yourself buying individual stocks and another TFSA managed by a financial advisor, preferably a certified financial planner, where they're automating the process for you and they're you know reviewing it with you when there's changes or, or every year and making those adjustments with you, okay? Um, not planning for long life. The longest life expectancy, um, sorry, the fastest growing demographic is age 100. People are living a lot longer. In Japan, they actually sell more adult diapers than children diapers. Wow. <laughs> a long time can be an issue, right? It can be good news. It can also be bad news too, right? As people live longer, their health tends to deteriorate and the expenses tend to increase because of that. So running out of money could be a real issue. And the way we guarantee against that is one will either find a guaranteed way to give them a guaranteed income through, through one of the pension plans we offer, or, or, or perhaps like an annuity that'll give them a guaranteed income for the rest of their life. Um, another area is investing too much in stocks in non-registered accounts. So not using the TFSA, rather investing in a taxable environment. So when you get those dividends, capital gains, or, or whatever investment return you get, you're being taxed on it every year. Not only are you being taxed on every year, but when you get older and you start to retire and you continue to invest in non-registered investments, let's say you buy a stock at a bank and they pay you a dividend. That dividend actually gets grossed up usually at 138%. And that 138% gross up is what's used to claw back your old age security. So you have to be careful and plan properly when investing. Can you explain that in some more detail? Sure. So if you will um, utilize your tax-free savings account, or you max it out and you start investing in non-registered accounts, every year you make money, you got to pay taxes. You're going to get a tax slip. It's called a T3 tax slip or a T5 tax slip, depending on the income you make, and it will be taxed. So the types of income you can earn on investments are interest. Interest is 100% taxable. So if you make $100 um, interest income, that $100 gets recorded on your tax return and you pay taxes on the $100 at your marginal tax rate. The other type of income you could receive is dividend. So you get a dividend income, the dividend is grossed up, and then there's a dividend credit. So, so there's a system for that. And then the most common one is capital gains. Capital gains is when you buy like stocks or mutual funds and you get an increase or you, you, you sell a, a home. The capital gain is the original price minus the sale price. And that's your gain. So 50% of that gain is included in your income and tax as income. And then the other one was the grossed up. You said uh, something gets grossed up 138% and then... Yeah. So, dividends, so depending if the dividend is eligible or non-eligible, so most dividends are eligible dividends. They're, they're from publicly traded companies like BMO, RBC, those, those stocks. So each year they pay you a dividend um, in your taxes. They use a formula to gross it up and they gross it up in order to give you a credit. But the issue is when they gross it up, that gross up number is used to call back um, some of your benefits. So not planning properly and putting the money in the wrong place, you know, could affect you and your retirement later on. Okay. And just, just to, and just to clarify, so oftentimes 
Um, so this is like in a scenario where somebody would have maxed out their registered accounts, so like a TFSA, an RRSP. And so right. now they're putting this excess money into a non-registered account. Yeah, the issue is they're paying taxes each year and also dividends are grossed up on their tax return. So, so those are the main issues, yeah. Um, another issue is people take CPP too early sometimes. There's a lot of actuary reports out now stipulating that if you live, if you just delay CPP one year, you'll increase the benefit by 11%. People don't realize Canada Pension Plan is indexed inflation quarterly. So if inflation goes up, you have a guaranteed pension that lasts the rest of your life that's indexed to inflation. So that's, that's very uh, beneficial to you. If you live past age 81, taking CPP at age 70 will yield you the most benefits. So if you're healthy, you think you're going to live past age 81, I encourage you to take CPP at age uh, 70 rather than 65. Increase the benefit by 142%. The time you wouldn't want to do that is if you you know had little to, to no income the last couple of years. Uh, how CPP works is you can knock off your child-rearing years and seven years that have little to no no income or little income. All the other years get grouped together and you use a formula and that's how they calculate your CPP. So years that you're earning less or if you have um, low life expectancy, like you don't have good health, then you might want to take CPP earlier. Right? Okay. And and does CPP stand for Canadian Pension Plan? Yeah, Canada Pension Plan, correct. So, so it's based solely on your earnings. So in order to get the maximum Canada Pension Plan, you've got to make roughly, I think it's like 60000 or so. Um, and the maximum CPP currently is about $12,000 a month. Index inflation quarterly. So it will increase, you know, people who are young, it will probably double in by the time they retire, if you're young enough. Okay. I actually had a question about that as well. Um, because the rumor I've heard is that there's not going to be money left over for some of us who are like in our 20s, 30s, younger than that right now, based on who's going to need it later. <laughs> it's yeah. going to be dried yeah. up. So they're quite aware of that. Um, so what they've done is they increased the contribution amount. So currently the contribution amount is roughly 9.9%. If you're employed, your employer pays half and you pay the other half. If you're self-employed, you pull, you pay the full uh, just under 10%. So they've increased the, the contributions. Um, I do see what people are saying. You know, If there is life, long life expectancy and you have 25% of the world retiring at the same time, you know that, that could put a strain on it. Um, but, but hopefully, you know, they'll be able to increase those premiums some more, which I do think that's what they'll do um, in the future. A lot of these CPB boards, you know, I have people who, who work on the CPB board. A lot of them are actuaries. You know, they use a lot of these calculations. They're very aware of some of these issues. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think it's really an issue. They'll just increase the benefit if that's the case. Yeah. Um, any other questions about CPP? Hey, Freedom Finders. So I did have a question for Trevor at this point. But we definitely want you to have some time to simmer on what's been discussed and then join us next week for part two, where Trevor will continue to discuss the most common mistakes he's seen, which hinder individuals from developing financial strength, along with some other questions to wrap up part two. See you next week. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Teach Me Freedom podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and found it beneficial. Feel free to reach out to us at teachmefreedom2020 at gmail.com. And if you haven't done so yet, subscribe to the show on your favorite platform for streaming content. 
feel free to comment and leave a four or five star review if you feel so inclined. Connect with you next time.